Welcome back to the Cincy Reformed Podcast. Pastor Zach here with you again. And uh, today we're, we're going to be uh, reflecting upon one of the uh, Ten Commandments. I think it's probably fair to say that it is the commandment that gets the least amount of consideration. Um, thinking especially of the Third Commandment. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, I'm very aware of the Third Commandment. It basically means that I shouldn't use uh, God's name um, as a curse word. And while that's certainly true, there's uh, much more to be said uh, than just that. And so since we've been uh, going through the catechism and we just hit the uh, third commandment recently, and it doesn't seem like people really want to think about the third commandment very much, I figured that uh, it might be worth uh, lingering over a little bit uh, this week. And uh, especially because this commandment is so important that God actually includes a word of warning against those who might use his name in vain. Uh, recall the language of the third commandment, that the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So uh, let me, uh, I guess, begin by reading it uh, fully. Um, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, as we just mentioned with that, uh, that warning. So, with this uh, third commandment, just uh, briefly to begin, note that it is uh, framed in the negative, like most of the Ten Commandments. You shall not do something. But we should remember that when Jesus summarized the teaching of God's law, that he spoke about it as teaching positive love. Love for God and love for one's neighbor. And being that we are in the first part, the first table of the law, we should remember that this first um, table is especially focused on love for God. And so being um, forbidden, prohibited from using God's name in vain, it means that we should actually use it well um, rather than using it in an empty or irreverent way that God's name should be promoted. Uh, we should think about God's name uh, being uh, spread in a positive way, whereby we love God. Now, thinking about God's name here for just a little bit uh, longer, the name of God can have different meanings in Scripture. Sometimes God's name refers to his being, his uh, essence, his substance, who God is. Uh, other times, the name can refer to God's manifest glory. Uh, and still others, and I think maybe most appropriate for the third commandment, God's name can refer then to his reputation, uh, like the old phrase, to make a name for yourself. Name can all basically just mean your fame. And I think that's what we're getting at, especially with the third commandment. It is about the use of God's name promoting uh, a positive fame in the world rather than making God infamous. And so we handle his name then with reverence rather than irreverence that his reputation might be positive uh, amongst ourselves and amongst the surrounding world. So clearly this um, uh, 
commandment refers to how we handle his name explicitly. Like when we take God's name upon our lips, we're speaking about God or the Lord or maybe the triune name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or we say the name Jesus or Jesus Christ. And when we use his name explicitly, obviously we're talking here about speaking about God with reverence, with truth, with a way that, in a way that um, uh, encourages others to revere him, to praise him, to celebrate him. But uh, it's not only when we explicitly use his name and speak his name, there's also the reality that when we go about living our lives, we are also um, acting with respect to God's name. Just when I go about my daily business and when you go about yours, if you are a Christian, and then you, have, you carry and bear the name of Jesus Christ. You're a Christian. Likewise, when you were baptized into the triune name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God placed his name upon you. And so you bear that family name, similar to how I have a last name, Wise, a family name. Spiritually speaking, my last name and yours, if you are a, a baptized Christian, uh, your uh, spiritual last name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you could say, in a, in a manner of speaking. And so when we go about our lives, just like I go about carrying my family's last name, then you're, all, you're carrying your spiritual family's uh, last name, as it were. And so as we live godly lives, well, we are reflecting well upon that name. When we are not, we are dragging that name through the mud. I consider what Paul writes in Romans chapter 2 when he's rebuking the Jews for the many ways in which they violated the Ten Commandments. He wrote, As it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he mentions that as he just spoke about how they were stealing, even though they taught that others shouldn't steal. They talked about the... Um, uh, committing adultery being a bad thing, but they went on and committed adultery themselves. And they were um, adamant against idolatry, yet they robbed temples. And so they gave lip service to God's law, but then they dragged God's name through the mud as they themselves then uh, disobeyed God's law. And so, in other words, we can handle God's name explicitly in our speech, but we also bear his name and we um, uh, carry it implicitly in all of our lives. And our conduct then has a bearing upon the fame and reputation of God because God has given us and entrusted us with his name, being Christian or being named by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I want to uh, transition on from, from that consideration to think about something that is lacking, I think, in our day. Lacking as I look at my own life and as I'm aware of the lives of other Christians and that is the matter of uh, religious swearing. Now, our minds uh, probably rush only to the uh, courtroom scene where someone puts a hand on the Bible and swears before the magistrates that they're telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But um, there are few, more things that can be said about this. And so figure that we spend our remaining time uh, thinking about uh, religious swearing. Uh, some might be confused by the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, 
he's going through the moral law of God, and he uh, clarifies many things about the uh, moral law of God that were uh, confused in his day. And one of the things that he addresses is the matter of oaths. And this causes some confusion among uh, well-meaning, uh, sincere Christians. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. James, in his letter, uh, refers back to that and um, makes the same uh, appeal against um, oath-taking. Now, many people want to read that and just simply stop after Jesus says, um, do not take an oath at all, as if that's the final word on the matter. And that uh, just stands all by itself and stands, stands alone as a universal statement. But what I think that we need to do is first read it in its immediate context, but then in its broader uh, biblical context. When he gives this prohibition against oaths, he immediately goes into talking about certain kinds of oaths that we understand were common in the first century context in which Jesus was speaking. What the Jews had done was they had a sort of a superstitious um, avoidance of God's uh, name, Yahweh. And so they began to then, over the course of time, avoid any kind of uh, oath-taking, religious swearing, that even used the name Elohim or um, Adonai, different Hebrew words for God or Lord. And they began instead to swear by created things. And that um, manner of swearing by created things, they thought would avoid the vain use of God's name. And so they would swear by the temple. They would swear by their head. They could swear by um, something else around creation. And they thought, uh, you know, it's uh, well-meaning. They believed that they would avoid then blaspheming God's name. But what Jesus is pointing out here is that God created all of those things. And so as we begin to swear by created things, we're still swearing before the Lord. Because God created heaven. God created the earth. God created our own heads. He created everything. And so as we begin to try to avoid swearing by the Lord's name and swear by created things, we're really not avoiding um, an oath before God anyway. We still are bound to our oaths. What we understand, historically speaking, is that the Jews were doing that with good intentions. But then what began to happen was they began to discover that by swearing according to created things was effectively a loophole. They didn't swear by the name of God, and so they felt like they could break their oaths more easily. And so they began to use oaths more frequently, but then keep them less frequently. And so you had lots of oaths and promise-making, but you didn't have people who were keeping those promises. Effectively, they had created loopholes that made for easy lying and oath-breaking. That's the sort of thing that Jesus was addressing there, as the context makes clear. The more broader context makes this clear also. For, after all, in the Old Testament, 
We have that great example in Genesis 22 of God himself swearing. He swore by his own name as he was making promises to Abraham. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 10, God commanding his people to swear by his name and his name alone. That that was part and parcel of holy worship was to swear by the true God who sees everything, who knows everything, who punishes according to justice, and whose name ought to be invoked, not the name of other false gods. This was part of morality, a part of worship. Jesus himself took an oath. At the end of Matthew's gospel, the very same gospel in which he said, don't take an oath, and then proceeds to explain what he means by that in Matthew chapter 5, the high priest put Jesus under oath, and Jesus answered him at the end of Matthew's gospel when he was arrested and being tried before the Sanhedrin. Jesus was uh, required to, to speak under oath, and he did. He did not object to that. Paul spoke um, with oaths. Perhaps the most uh, obvious instance of that is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 23, where he says that God is, uh, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Note, I call God to witness against me. This is oath language. He wants God to judge him He's inviting God to judge him if he were telling a lie. So, certainly religious swearing is appropriate. It's appropriate um, when we think about uh, various um, uh, places in our lives. Like, for example, when we are called by the civil magistrate to testify within a courtroom. It is not only permissible, but required of us to swear by the Lord God himself. But there are other places where we can see this religious swearing being appropriate. For example, a worship service. We call upon the name of God there. We invoke the name of God. We subject ourselves to his judgment. We um, confess and state uh, certain things before his face. And as we are doing that, we are in a covenantal um, oath-taking and oath-renewing context. So the entire context of worship is really one of religious um, swearing as God makes promises to us and as we respond to him by speaking truth uh, back to him. We can think about um, uh, our religious swearing if we think about the holy uh, matrimony of marriage. I recently officiated a wedding and from the very beginning to the very end of our worship service, we were invoking the name of God. We were gathering in the presence of God and these witnesses here. We were um, reflecting upon God's teaching in his word and the vows of marriage open that we are uh, making promises before God. And uh, we're making those um, vows not only before God, but we're making them before others and then toward that uh, the, the spouse whom we are marrying. And so the broader uh, marriage service is a, a religious uh, oath, a swearing, a calling God to witness for us or against us and inviting God to judge us if we were to violate the oath that we are making with our wife or husband. 
we uh, might also think about how it could be um, important to take a religious oath before church leaders. Perhaps church leaders need to speak with you about a matter that is um, uh, that requires your testimony, and they might ask you then to uh, swear before God uh, to the truth or falsehood of whatever is in question. We might look at uh, Abraham in Genesis 21, who swears uh, to the Lord as he makes a covenant with a non-Christian, with Abimelech. He um, swears, makes a religious oath. Um, so there are many instances and examples here of the proper use, the required use even, of religious oaths. And we should also make sure it's clear and understood that there might be uh, other times in our lives that I've not mentioned where the necessity of vindicating the truth might compel you to take religious oath, whether before a non-Christian or before a, a fellow Christian, that truth needs to be uh, upheld and vindicated. And one way that we can do that is by swearing and calling God to witness um, to the uh, truth or, uh, of what we are uh, saying. So I hope that uh, this uh, reflection upon the uh, third commandment is helpful for you. If you'd like more on this, I'd encourage you to check out the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Days 36 and 37. It's a, a very helpful um, uh, summary of this doctrine. And also take a peek into the uh, footnotes to see um, some of the, the verse citations in terms of uh, where you can find uh, many of these examples in Holy Scripture in order that we don't just take one verse out of context from Matthew chapter 5, but rather we read a scripture uh, in light of the rest of scripture, the less clear things in the light of the clearer uh, things, in order that we might not only um, avoid the vain use or the empty use of God's name, being irreverent, but rather that throughout our lives, in our conduct and in our speech and in our formal uh, covenants-making and oath-taking and testifying, that we um, spread the name of God in a way that upholds him, that honors him, and that gives him a good reputation within the world. Well, this is the uh, Cincy Reform Podcast for this week. Thanks for joining us. You can find our other episodes at cincyreformed.org. We are sponsored by Westside Reform Church. You can find us at westsidereform.org. And we look forward to you joining us again next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.